It was George Orwell who said, if you want to keep a secret, you better hide it from yourself. Paul has a secret for us today, and he does not want to hide it. We come to the last portion of Scripture in the New Testament letter of Philippians. For the last nine weeks, we have been walking through this powerful letter. And for one last time, I ask for you to draw your sword and turn to the book of Philippians. We will gather on the back porch the very last passage. I encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read verses 10 to 23. And once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 4, I'll begin at verse 10. I'll conclude at the end of the letter, verse 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church Share with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment, even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, preaching, understanding, and obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Paul begins this passage by saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. The word rejoice is a common word in the Bible. It's found nearly 250 times. It was Nehemiah who said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The psalmist said, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's the angel who said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. When Philip preached in that Samaritan village, we read in Acts chapter 8, there was great joy in that city. And James, the brother of our Lord, said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Throughout the Bible, joy is found and bound in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus' people ought to be joyful people. 
We have a joy that inflation can't devour. We have a joy that politicians can't paralyze. We have a joy that our culture can't cancel. We have a joy that sports can't steal, that hurt can't harm, that situations can't stifle. Our joy is tied and tethered to Jesus Christ and him crucified. When you read throughout this letter of Philippians, the word joy or rejoice is a common word. We read of it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 1, twice in chapter 4, verse 4, and finally here in chapter 4, verse 10. If you're keeping count, that's seven occasions. And you know the number seven is the number of totality and completion. So God's people are to be joyful people. Paul writes this letter to this beloved church in Philippi, and he wants them to rejoice in the Lord. Today I want to preach a sermon by the Spirit's power that's simply entitled The Secret of Joyful Living. The Secret of Joyful Living. When Paul comes to this final passage, I think he gives us a great secret. It's not a secret to hide. It's a secret to make known. For we have the secret of joyful living. I want to give you three phrases today. Three phrases from this passage that I think helps us unlock a joyful life. The first statement is this, that my contentment is through his consistency. My contentment is through his consistency. Paul says, I rejoice greatly because you have demonstrated your renewed concern for me. It's not that you had forgotten me. It's, it's not that you uh, weren't concerned about me. Later in the passage, he says to the church at Philippi, you are the only church that gave me monetary gifts when I was in Macedonia and when I was in Thessalonica and when I was in need, you gave over again and again to my ministry. Paul says, I'm just rejoicing because now, once again, you have renewed your concern for me. Apparently, it had been a long while since the church at Philippi had sent a love offering to Paul. And now... They heard that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He's not going anywhere. So they thought to themselves, this is a great opportunity for us to pull our resources together, to take up a love offering, and to give it to him. They uh, drafted Epaphroditus, their valued servant. They gave the gift to Epaphroditus. He traveled the 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. He personally delivered the gift to the apostle. Much of the reason why Paul writes this letter is simply to say thank you. Now, there are other reasons of why he wrote the letter, but one of the primary reasons is to say thank you. Thank you for renewing your concern. Thank you for helping me once again as you have in times past. When you come to verse 11, Paul says, I have learned how to be content in every circumstance. I have learned. That word learn in verse 11 carries the idea of learned through experiences. I mean, think back over the last, let's say, 20 years of the apostle's life. He had had a lot of ups and downs. He had been imprisoned. He had been snake bitten. He had been shipwrecked. He had been uh, beaten and whipped. He had been run out of town time and time again. I mean, he constantly had ups and downs in his journey of ministry. And he said, in the midst of all of that chaos, my contentment 
has not been found in cash, but in Christ. My contentment is not money, for money is not my Messiah. My contentment is in him. My contentment is through his consistency. In this world that is topsy-turvy, turned upside down, inside out, and there are so many inconsistencies in this world, there's one thing that is constant, and it's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as Paul looks back, he says, through my life experiences, I have learned to be content. And my contentment is in Christ. My contentment is in the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. My contentment is in the one who doesn't change like shifting shadows, for he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. My contentment is in the one who's inside of me, for greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. My contentment in a chaotic world is Christ and him crucified. So my contentment is through his consistency. He never abandons me. He never leaves me. Today I ask just a simple diagnostic question. And I want you to ask this of your soul. When am I content? Honestly, when am I content? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times the answer to that question comes when life is going my way. When there's money margin in the account. When the bottom line is skyrocketing. When my relationships are enjoyable, when the family is happy. When those things take place, I am content. You may answer the question, when am I content when everything's going my way? If that's the case, then what happens when life doesn't go your way? What happens when there is no margin in the bank account? What happens when when your relationships are a burden and the bottom line is plummeting and your family you don't like them and they don't like you very much either what happens when your world gets turned upside down if your contentment is in your circumstances if your contentment is in the happenings going on around you then it is frail and fragile and fickle the only contentment that is consistent in life is the fact that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us So Paul is simply telling the congregation, this is the secret of joyful living. My contentment is through his consistency. He is always with me. Therefore, I can be content. Paul says in verse 11, I have learned to be content in every situation. The second statement I'll give to you is that my sufficiency is through his supremacy. My sufficiency is through his supremacy. Paul will go on to write and he says, I know what it is to be well fed. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need. I have learned the secret of being content in every and all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You come to verses 12 and 13. And you realize that what the apostle is saying is that my sufficiency is through his supremacy. Verse 12, he uses the word learned again. It's a different word. It's a different connotation. In verse 11, it's I learned through life experiences. In verse 12, I learned, literally the word is I was initiated 
into secret. I was initiated into the secret of being content. Initiated. Some of you know what it is to be initiated, right? You're initiated into a fraternity. You're initiated into a sorority. You're initiated into a club. You're initiated into a group. And sometimes that initiation comes with some tests and trials, doesn't it? Sometimes the initiation comes with some pain and agony, doesn't it? Paul uses the word initiated, and actually it's a word that he lifts out of pagan idolatry. For when someone was initiated into pagan idolatry, it was accompanied by great trial and trouble, pain and pressure. It is that connotation that the apostle is using when he comes to this word. When he says, I have learned, I've been initiated, it's been a painful initiation, but I've I've painfully learned the secret of being content. He's saying, I learned in the school of hard knocks. I learned the hard way. I learned with on-the-job training. I have learned the secret. I've been initiated into the secret of being content in any and every situation. And Paul says, this has come to me through great pain, through great trouble. Friends, let me ask you a question. Have you ever found it to be true? That some of life's greatest lessons are learned on the backside of pain. Have you found it to be true that sometimes you have to endure some hard things? And when you endure some hard, painful, difficult situation and circumstances on the other side, you become out stronger than ever before. That if it wasn't for the painful experience, you would not be able to withstand what's in front of you. If it wasn't for the painful experience, you would not be nearly as strong as you are today spiritually. Because on the other side of that difficult situation, you come out stronger than ever before. Have you ever noticed That some of life's greatest lessons are taught to you on the other side of pain. Have you ever thought recently about how a diamond is formed? I'm not talking about a fake lab-grown diamond. I'm talking about a real, genuine, God-mind diamond. Have you thought recently how a diamond is formed? We are told that a diamond is formed by taking carbon, subjecting it to intense heat and enormous pressure over a significant amount of time. And when you take a piece of carbon and you're able to subject it to intense heat and enormous pressure over a significant amount of time, it can become the strongest substance on planet Earth, a diamond. If you could listen to the testimony of Mr. Diamond, you just might be blown away. Have you ever heard Mr. Diamond's story? Do you know the story of how Mr. Diamond became Mr. Diamond? He was subjected to the earth's core. He was subjected to the hot liquid magma of the earth. He felt the weight of the world literally on his shoulders. And one day, Mr. Diamond said to his creator, I can't take this any longer. I'm done. You've got to get me out of here. 
I can't handle the heat. It's too intense. I can't handle the pressure. It's too enormous. Literally, I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. And, and, the, and the magma is so hot and it is so overwhelming. I cannot take it any longer. So, Mr. Creator, you've got to get me out of here. i got to wave the white flag. I've got to quit. I can't take this anymore. And the Creator said to Mr. Diamond, you hang on. You hold on. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I know the pain of your situation. I know the heat of your circumstance. I know the pressure that you're enduring right now. I know what other gemstones are saying about you. I understand what you're going through. I know exactly where you are. Let me tell you, you just got to trust me because in just a moment, I'm going to cause a subterranean volcano to erupt. And when that subterranean volcano erupts, with the force of that explosion it will thrust you to the crust of the earth and there you'll be mined and there you'll be cleaned and there you'll be valued as the strongest substance on the planet so Mr. Diamond you just gotta hang on you gotta hold on just a little bit longer and Mr. Diamond says to creator you wait just a hot minute did you just say to me that you're gonna cause a subterranean volcano to explode I don't like what I'm feeling right now I don't think I'm going to like when that happens either. Do you know what you're doing? And Mr. Creator just says to Mr. Diamond, you've got to trust me. You've got to believe in me. You've got to hang on to me. You've got to hold on. I know what I'm up to. I know what I'm doing. I'll cause the volcano. It will erupt. You will come to the crust of the earth's surface. You'll be mined and you will be the most precious commodity on planet earth. You'll be the strongest substance on the planet and that that's the story of Mr. Diamond. Do you know what it is to feel overwhelmed with pressure? Do you know what it is to be initiated in the pain of the secret? You ask yourself, well, what is this secret that Paul was initiated into? Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now sometimes we emphasize the wrong phrase. We put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. We emphasize the wrong syllable. We emphasize the wrong phrase. We think the most important phrase in that beloved verse of Philippians 4.13 is, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, but friends, that's not the most important phrase. Sometimes we think the most important phrase is all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But friends, that's not the most important phrase either. The operative phrase of full force in Philippians 4.13 is through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And what does Christ do? He strengthens me. He strengthens me in the midst of the pressure. He strengthens me by use of the pain. He strengthens me by use of the difficulty. He may not alleviate the pain, but he'll use the pain. He may not alleviate the pressure, but he'll use the pressure. He may not alleviate the discomfort, but he'll use the discomfort for your good and for, her, and for his glory. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's just dig down a little bit deeper. This 
this verse of Philippians 4.13, it can really be broken down into three phrases. I can fill in the blank through Christ. That's the force of this favorite verse. I can fill in the blank through Christ. So you can put whatever you want to in that blank. But the reason you can do that, which is in that blank, is because of Christ. Let me uh, just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I can preach this sermon through Christ. I can pastor this church through Christ. I can deal with difficult people through Christ. I can withstand criticism through Christ. I can handle attacks against my character through Christ. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death through Christ. I can overcome disease through Christ. I can achieve my goal through Christ. I can get the promotion through Christ. I can handle the difficulty through Christ. I can mend the relationship through Christ. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I can fill the blank through Christ, but the only way you're going to be able to fill in the blank is because of Christ. If it wasn't for Christ, you wouldn't be able to do jack squat. And if you're wondering, squat is a Greek word, right? If it wasn't for Christ, you couldn't do it. Whatever the it may be, whatever you fill in the blank, I can fill in the blank, and it's only made possible through Christ. What is Paul telling the church? He's saying, my sufficiency is through his supremacy. That if I'm going to have a joyful life, the secret is that my contentment is through his consistency, and my sufficiency is through his supremacy. If it wasn't for Christ, I could not do it. We come to the third statement. My generosity is through his grace. For the rest of the letter, Paul is saying thank you to the Philippian church for their generosity. He reminds them of the story. When I was in Macedonia, there was no other church that helped me but you. When I was in Thessalonica, you came to my aid again and again. And now here you are renewing your concern for me. And because of the gift given to me by you through Epaphroditus, I realize it's, it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. He doesn't want them to misunderstand his platitude. He doesn't want them to misunderstand his gratitude. So in verse 17, he says, I'm not looking for a gift. I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. Paul is not merely saying thank you. He's giving them a theological lesson on stewardship. He's saying... I'm not going on and on about thank you for this gift and, and reminding you of our history simply in the hopes that you're going to send me another gift. I'm not looking for another gift. I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. That phrase, credited to your account, that's a banking term. 
It's a banking analogy. It was used in the first century. It's still used in our day, except computers seem to do it for us today. But it's the debits and credits. And Paul says, look, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm trying to get something in you. I don't want generosity from you. I want generosity for you. Because if you are generous because God has been gracious to you, then God will credit that to your account. It was Warren Wiersbe who said, the Lord keeps his own books. And he always repays a spiritual dividend. God always keeps his own books. When you give to the Lord, he knows it. When you give to the Lord, it's a credit to your account. Now, he may not repay you dollar for dollar, but he does promise that he will bless your obedience. So what Paul is saying is, I'm just looking for ways that you can be doubly blessed. I'm looking for ways for God just to blow your socks off. I'm looking for ways for you to, to, uh, to experience the grace of God because he's been so gracious to you because I'm not looking for more money. I'm not looking for more of a gift. I'm looking for what more could be credited to your account. I told you before, that famous phrase by C.S. Lewis, when it comes to generosity, Lewis says, I don't know what to tell you. When it comes to generosity, I don't know how much to give. But this much I do know. My generosity ought to pinch me a little bit. I ought to feel my generosity towards the Lord. He says, I don't know exactly how much to tell you to give. But if all you give is what you can afford to give, it's not enough. C.S. Lewis went on to write that when it comes to my generosity, my generosity ought to prohibit me from doing something I want to do for my own personal pleasure. Because I ought to be so generous unto God, to the work of his church, that it pinches me a little bit. Friend, can I ask you, does your generosity towards the church pinch a little bit? Do you feel the squeeze these days? And I'm not just talking about the squeeze of inflation. I'm talking about the squeeze of your generosity. And once again, I'm not saying this to get something from you. I'm saying this to get something for you. I'm, I'm not saying this for my benefit. I'm saying this for your benefit. But do you feel the squeeze, the pinch of your generosity? I've been told by one or more deacons that there are few people in this congregation that don't like it when I stand here in this pulpit and talk about the church finances. And I want to say a couple of things to that. First, I want to be very pastoral. It's been my observation over the last 22 years of ministry, pastoral ministry, that those who squirm the most when it comes to the topic of generosity are those that are convicted the most because they give the least. I will also say that in the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, the one single topic that Jesus talked about more than any other topic in the parables is the topic of money. Because Jesus knew there's nothing wrong with you having possessions. But far too many times those possessions can possess you.
So we've been together for seven and a half years, long enough for you to know my high regard for Scripture, long enough for you to know that I am a preacher who takes preaching very seriously. And when I stand to say, thus saith the Lord, I do want to do my very best. I'm not saying I always do, but I want to do my very best to make sure the Lord did sayeth before I stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And you're right. I have made mention of our finances over the last several weeks. Why? Well, I told you that on June the 30th of this year, we finished the month of June in the black, that our income exceeded our expenses year to date. But then something happened beginning July the 1st. And since July the 1st, we've had consecutive months where our giving has been off noticeably to the tune that as we enter this final month of the year, uh, we're, we're, we're behind about $170,000. Now, to put that in perspective, that's about 30 days of, exp- that's, that's about 20 days, I'm sorry, about 20 days of our expenses. So we're behind by nearly three weeks. I bring that to your attention. I bring that to your attention because I feel indebted that I need to bring it to your attention for you to realize where we are. Once again, it's not so much that I'm trying to get something out of you. By God's grace, I'm trying to get something into you. Paul says, I'm not looking for a gift. I'm not looking just for more money. He says, I'm looking for ways that God can bless you because because God has chosen to bless obedience of his children in many areas of life, but especially in finances. So in verse 19, my God, will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you see the analogy that Paul is using? You met my need, Paul says. My God will meet your need. You met my one need, but God will meet all of your needs. You met my one need out of your poverty, but God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In other words, what you have given has been substantial, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to God because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills as well. He gives out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the crown jewel of heaven. In other words, you can never outgive God because God always has an arm that can reach deeper than your pockets. So Paul is just reminding the church that my generosity is through his grace. The last couple of verses, everybody's just saying hello to everybody else. Greet those that are in Philippi for me. Those that are here, send greetings to you, especially those in the household of Caesar, which is another indication that tells you, the reader, that Paul really is under house arrest in Rome. He's being watched by Caesar's CIA agents. He's being watched by the guard. So as he has spoken to them and as the church in Rome has ministered, there have been more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as they came to visit Paul, they said, hey, whenever you write a letter, send greetings to our brothers and sisters, people that we've never met before, people that we'll see in heaven. 
And so Paul sends greetings. The very last line, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon your spirit. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon your spirit. If it's on your spirit, it's over your spirit. It's to the left of your spirit and to the right of your spirit. It's above your spirit. It's beneath your spirit. It's within your spirit. It's sticking out of your spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon your spirit. What Paul is saying is that you're generous and I'm generous. And my generosity is through his grace. It's only because his grace that I can be generous. It's only because of his grace that you can be generous. Because it's all about his grace. If it wasn't for his grace, you'd be stingy. But because God did not withhold anything, he gave the crown jewel of heaven to secure your salvation. Because God allowed Jesus to come to earth and down the cross for your sins, because he spent the most to accomplish your salvation, you're never trying to pay God back, but you're simply trying to say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. So my generosity is through his grace. i got to take my seat, but before I do, can I just remind you that it's all about grace? Because of God's riches at Christ's expense, you have a home in heaven. It's all about grace. It's because of his grace that we live the joyful life. It's because of his grace that mercy is fresh each new morning. It's because of his grace that peace that passes all understanding can guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's because of his grace that heaven came down and glory filled my soul. It's because of his grace that Jesus stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth. It's because of his grace that Christ was born. It's because of his grace that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and was placed to a borrowed grave. It's because of his grace that heaven held its breath that hell was put on notice on the third day Jesus burst forth from the grave alive and victorious over sin death hell and the grave it's because of his grace that a sinner is saved it's because of his grace that the church is unstoppable it's because of his grace that we're on mission for the Lord it's because of his grace that we have life and movement it's all because of his grace amazing grace how sweet the sound it saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now now I see through many dangerous toils and snares I have already come and grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun friends I came to tell you it's all about grace brothers I came to tell you it's all about grace sisters I came to tell you it's all about grace students I came to tell you it's all about grace it's all about the grace of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the secret of joyful living. Paul says, Come close. I've got a secret, but I don't want you to hide it. I want you to make it known. The secret of joyful living is my contentment 
is through his consistency. My sufficiency is through his supremacy. My generosity is through his grace. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon your spirit. And let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this moment of invitation. And Father, we pray that if there are people who do not know you as Savior and Lord, today can be the day of their salvation. If those who are far from you, today they can be drawn near because of your grace and your goodness. Father, maybe there are people in the crowd that need to join this church. Maybe there are others who need to come for prayer. Maybe there are still others who need to come and just repent of sin, whatever the sin may be. It may be private, it may be public, it may be sin of action, it could be sin of of the mouth, it could be sin of a bad attitude. Father, whatever it is, help us to come and fall at your face, fall on our face before you and find grace to help us in time of need. Father, today, please be gracious to us, draw us close to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.